Hello, welcome to the Woman by Definition podcast. I'm Kelly J. This episode, I'm talking to Jo Bartosz. She's a writer with bylines at The Critic, Standpoint Magazine, New Statesman, Unheard, Spectator, The Independent, and many more. Fundraising bid writer and copywriter with experience right across the third sector. Campaigner against the sex industry, founder of anti-pornography think tank Clickoff, trustee at My Sister, and board member of Not Buying It. She's also a Cambridge Union speaker. For those listening and tuning in, I may warn you that some of the language is sexually explicit and we use expletives, so please be warned. As always, do like, share and subscribe and if you fancy, leave me a review. Welcome, Joe Bartosz, to my uh, podcast. Uh, hello. I've been desperate to uh, have you on, although I fear I can't have the full spectrum of your vocabulary um, as displayed at the recent Cambridge Union chat, which I will put in there. Um, briefly, what is Click Off? When did you start doing it? And what is your ambition with it? So uh, we started last year and um, the point is really to raise awareness about the harms of pornography. So um, we've got a number of amazing academics behind us, including Sheila Jeffries, Heather Brunskiller Evans, uh, Kathleen Richardson, some brilliant campaigners. And um, the point is really that I I just get really, really frustrated that pornography is, it's almost treated like it's a joke. Um, but it, it isn't. It has a really significant, real impact on, on women and girls, and it's a form of violence. So um, before coming on to this today, I had a quick look on Pornhub. One of the top videos was Boyfriend Destroys Teens Pussy and Throat. I mean, that's just, there's nothing to do with sex or love. That's, that's about violence. That is a form of violence. And it's obviously it's driving a massive issue with trafficking across the world, and yet somehow um, it still gets defended as if it's some sort of you know minority cause or to do with um, freedom of speech. And that's absolute nonsense. I mean, kind of similarly, I guess, to other um, topics at the moment, it's it's kind of got this um, kind of almost like a kudos around it. But actually, when you when you, when you get to the root of it, this is one of the biggest industries in the world. There's no kind of joined up government action um, to tackle it. Um, it seems like politicians, you know, they say, oh, domestic violence is a bad thing. They sort of understand that. And yet they're not prepared to acknowledge the fact that, in fact, you know, we've seen four in 10 girls um, coerced into sex acts in the UK. That's, that's from a study in Durham. So, you know, it's, it's a massive issue and we're just not really tackling it. And so there are things like the uh, We Can't Consent to This campaign, which is brilliant, um, but I guess it's kind of like joining up those dots and showing that in fact, it's, it's a part of something bigger um, that's going on. Yeah. So that's kind of what it's about. Well, I watched, so I, in the Cambridge Union debate, I did, I, wa- I put myself through watching the opposition <laughs> for the motion, which were basically- oh, <laughs> The porn defender, um, a, a couple of things they brought up as, as a defense to pornography. Uh, one of them was uh, that it's not for children and they don't market to children. 
and the children don't have credit cards so even if they were evil enough to want these people as uh, the, their audience they can't pay for it so it wouldn't make any sense but they didn't really tackle the idea that it is so easy to access yeah and the yeah. government doesn't do that either and i know that i can't find out the coca-cola recipe so i'm pretty sure it's there are ways and means of keeping children from accessing porn yeah absolutely and i mean that's um actually in part part of the reason that there, there isn't any proper age verification was thanks to um Jerry Barnett, who was one of the speakers that I was opposing. Um, and um, yeah, the likes of Miles Jackman, there was this sort of massive, and it was presented as like a civil liberties thing, as if like somehow the right of men to masturbate to women in pain is more important than the human rights of women. It was just like, what? That's not a civil liberties thing. You're defending a massive multi-billion dollar industry. That's not about freedom of speech. They really don't need any support. Um, so yeah, I guess, um, so far as the children thing, of course, of course they know that kids are going to come across it. And of course, once you've got a kid hooked, then that's it. And when you look at, um, providers as well, so a lot of the PHSE and SRE providers, and of course, um, sex and relationships education is going to be compulsory this year. Um, there are just like none of them say, actually don't do it. Don't look at porn because it will screw up your sexuality and it will sort of, I guess, you know, these really horrible, unrealistic as well, um, ideas about what's acceptable will be, will become your normal. And I mean, I was reading um, Sheila Jeffrey's book, uh, The Industrial Vagina, which I recommend. And um, she was talking about the impact of pornography in Papua New Guinea and in um, places where basically there, there hadn't been any at all. And then suddenly high-speed internet pornography was, um, became the norm and the rates of sexual violence and the rates of abuse and the rates of peer-on-peer -peer, um, child abuse as well just like skyrocketed and um, essentially girls now um, think that if they go out at night they're asking for it they don't even realize they have a right to say no and we're seeing that as well in the UK so again with the um, we can't consent to this thing um, so just today there was um, a report um, in the Times about the fact that the CPS aren't bothering to prosecute cases um, because they're worried that the rough sex defence will be used. Now we know that rough sex is something that pornography normalises. <laughs> so I mean that, that, is, that is robbing women and girls of getting justice um, when, when we're raped or sexually assaulted or abused. So clearly it has a massive impact and yet somehow you know there are still academics out there going oh well we can't be too sure of course we're fucking sure it's the obvious i mean you know it's just the way adverts work that's the way communication works you see something and yeah it gets stuck in your brain particularly if you're masturbating to it whilst you're watching it so yeah it's just such a huge problem well i <laughs> i hate horror films right i can't watch anything remotely scary or anything kind of um anything that has suspense in it so thrillers and stuff like that with music because i have created these very solid pathways that if i hear certain sorts of music in film i'm petrified <laughs> so i'm pretty sure that most of us understand that what we watch can and will have some sort of impact or imprint on us 
I mean, if you just look at beauty practices, the fact that, you know, the whole sort of like ripping out cubic hair and all the rest of it, frankly, no woman wakes up one day and thinks, oh, I know it's a good idea. I'll just rip out my pubes. Obviously, that's because of pornography. Mm. So I think the idea that it doesn't have an effect is just mental. It's a lie. Mm. Of course it does. <laughs> yeah. Is, is it, it's as if our body hair doesn't have an actual vital, quite vital function. <laughs> yeah. um, and therefore, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a bizarre practice, that, that whole thing, <laughs> rendering your body looking like a prepubescent mm. um, person. So what are you doing with click off so what sort of it, the lockdown has obviously been a bit of a nightmare but what are you doing are you lobbying are you trying to get police involved what sort of activities do you do with them so at the moment what we're really trying to do is get a bit of political support so i've been chatting to some mps and um laura farris in particular has been really supportive which is great um interestingly i've had more support from the conservatives than i have from labor <laughs> um but um that's something that i want i really would be great if people could do it would be if they could write to their mps and if you want a template letter there's one on the website um that you can sort of copy and paste and send off and then just like let us know how it goes because i think just letting politicians know that it is an issue and that you know i mean as well there are like little disparate campaigns around things like upskirting and revenge porn which are great but I just really feel we need to sort of join the dots and start looking at the problem holistically. So we've got some resources on there as well. I'm hoping to do more soon, um, just with some um, like fact sheets about what the issues are. And then I'm hoping to do some more about um, like looking at things like OnlyFans and sort of some of the newer um, forms of pornography, um, where arguably women have more choice, but at the same time, it's still connected to something pretty dark and nasty. Um, yeah. So um, really, our sort of main thing at the moment is just trying to get people to write to their MPs and get them to really sort of push it up the political agenda. I've read somewhere that porn is, um, is actually st stated in lots of divorce cases, mm -hmm. that it's a, it's a trigger for divorce. And debt as well. Um, there's a, a huge problem with, um, with men going into debt because of being and it is mainly men, <laughs> um, being hooked on pornography and as well because it's then associated with other forms of the sex trade. So, you know, then using prostitutes, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah. It's also sticky. I mean, do you think there is a public, uh, I, don't, I don't think necessarily there is a public appetite to ban it completely yeah. because I think people would just, people would just see the freedom of expression thing. I, personally, I don't think it should have ever been included in freedom of speech because it is actually harmful. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, it's not a form of speech. I mean, talking about pornography, that's freedom of speech. Actually showing images of abuse, no, not freedom of speech. But um, yeah, I think to be honest, the horse have bolted. There was absolutely no point trying to ban pornography, uh, much as I think maybe in the 80s, when there was a bit of a sort of feminist push for it, it could have happened. I think sadly there were a lot of um, sort of woke academics, for want of a, a better phrase, um, who have pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed and it's now become sort of almost synonymous with sexual freedom, which is ridiculous because it's clearly the reverse of sexual freedom. I mean, something is very wrong if you're having to look at somebody else's monetized fantasy of what sex is. That's not about sexual freedom. That's clearly about someone selling you something and someone's selling you something that's harmful um, both to you and indeed the people involved in the production. But 
um, yeah, I think really it's got to come from a sort of social attitudinal change about how we see pornography. And I do think um, legislation has a role to play in that. So, um, I mean, nominally there are quite a few sex acts um, which are technically illegal, but nothing seems to happen about it. It's not really, that's if it's produced in the UK. But realistically there don't seem to be any prosecutions so i think there's no appetite for prosecutions and i do think that maybe if um it's a sort of language around it if the sort of if there's more a broader social change then perhaps there might be more impetus for that to happen and then perhaps in time um there might be a social shift so i kind of see it in the same way as i do domestic abuse or you know something like that it's like 30 years ago yeah, people acknowledged it was a problem, and yes, it still goes on today, but there is at least an outcry about it. And I feel like, you know, maybe something um, similar might be achievable with pornography, but yeah, we're never going to be able to outright <laughs> get rid of it now. Well, it was very sad that there wasn't a Q&A where oh, me too. Uh, responded <laughs> to some of their points. So I'm going to give you that opportunity, oh, and okay. I'm going to give you some of their defences. <laughs> so... Um, in, in a small town in, in Missouri, I forget the details, uh, since the onset of online porn, um, there's been much less violence since the 19, 1960s and 70s to the year 2020. There's been far less sexual violence because clearly people now in the privacy of their own home can explore their sexuality as opposed to um, assaulting people in the street. It's, it's great that it's been outsourced like that. It just makes it so much easier. <laughs> no, I mean, firstly, I think the sort of studies that, that um, Jerry Bartnett in particular sort of bases his stuff on are, are pretty flimsy. Um, and actually, if you, if you look at it in a wider context, and I think perhaps um, looking at, for example, communities that, that haven't had any access um, and the impact it's had on them, as I was saying, about the Pacific Islanders and um, Papua New Guinea and Solomon Islands and various places where it's been introduced, yeah, it clearly has a devastating impact on the, in the rates of sexual violence. Of course, the flip side of that is then that when it comes to reporting and when it comes to recognising abuse, um, people are less, much less likely to do so in many ways because the notion of consent is pretty much absent in porn. <laughs> so how can you recognise something as abusive when it's just totally normal? Um, and I, I kind of wonder as well if that might have some sort of something to do with the supposed drop in rates of sexual violence. Um, although, as I say, I would very much question the data that he's using there anyway. Um, also, the lady at the end, whose name I forget, she came Ella. up with some, Ella, she came up with some cracking arguments. One was that the porn industry is like a very lovely, soft, community and as such it provides <laughs> STI testing and therapy. Mm, yeah I mean that's that, that sounds just like working in a checkout or you know being a waitress. Um, I, I hear they often need therapy and STI checks. I mean that clearly that just shows how abusive the industry is. And I mean you know, it's funny that that was a defense that was kind of look, look how great we are. We yeah. do <laughs> yeah, in, in full PPE, I mean. <laughs> and obviously no. it's the same as construction. It, it, a construction worker also has their bodies used. Yeah, yeah totally. I mean, anal prolapse, totally associated with construction trade. Mm. Yeah. And also, I, I think um, 
mate, you'll be able to articulate this argument better than me. But I often think the argument about sex work is work and porn is work and all this, you know, nonsense. Um, you don't, I don't build a brick wall to show the person I love the most in the world, um, like a, a real expression of love is not building a wall. It's not running some beans across a, a checkout. It's not doing any of those things. And I do think in lots of topics that you and I will share similar views, there is this real drive of dissociating people from their bodies. Yeah, no, totally. I think that that's um, something that Kathleen Richardson talks about quite a lot, actually, is, um, is attachment theory and how um, uh, there's almost like a, a driver with big, big tech to, to detach people from their sort of bodied selves. Um, that kind of, I guess, Cartesian dualism split, isn't it? And yeah, I think it's just so depressing that people's idea of intimacy and love that they think it can be replicated by something that they see on screen. I mean, I thought that particularly when Ella was talking about, um, you know, sort of essentially making it out as if it's some sort of social good because she stops men being lonely because there are holograms. What the fuck? That's just so mental. The idea that, you know, you can replace uh, a reciprocal loving human relationship with a hologram of someone you've never met. But, you know, what? <laughs> I mean, it's just absolutely insane. Um, and kind of the stuff of science fiction sort of nightmares, really. <laughs> so, in a, it, it, so in a nutshell, your campaign goes really, really well. Where are we in one year? Are we making sure that children definitely can't watch any porn at all? Would that be like a first demand? I think actually one of the first demands that I think would be really, really helpful would be for pornography use to be routinely connected, collected um, when men are convicted of violent crimes, particularly violent crimes against women. Um, because at the moment, in a way, yeah, the, the other side have got some arguments around it. it is very difficult to prove a causal link because proving causal links, as any scientist will say, it's bloody difficult. But I think it would really help build the body of evidence that in fact, you know, a lot of what's seen in pornography is then replicated um, outside of pornography, and particularly in, in crime, well, arguably, not perhaps in porn as crime, but still, um, is then arguably sort of acted out in the real world. And I think if the CPS were to routinely collect um, uh, porn collections um, that, that uh, perpetrators have, I think that could make a massive change. Um, I also think there's probably some work to be done around um, how... Um, social media platforms are licensed, um, which is kind of a tricky one because yes, there is a, a freedom of speech issue there, but at the same time, seeing as you've got sort of YouTube taking down um, anything that purports to uh, show a conspiracy theory, whilst I might not agree with that, in a way it does show that there is the appetite there, that it can be done, a precedent has been set. So there are ways of taking um, images of abuse and particularly um, where it is revenge porn, there are ways of dealing with that, that, that if there was a political appetite would be happening. So actually I kind of think one of the first things that needs to happen is just to get bloody MDs to speak out and start recognising it. You know, they do it about period poverty or whatever happens to be fashionable. Um, and I mean, I mean, for example, Jess Phillips, um, I've, I've 
emailed her, I've written to her, um, I got one of her constituents to get in touch with her, and she promised she'd, um, she'd get back to me, I'm still, still waiting to hear on that one. Um, I kind of feel like there's this, you know, if it's, if it's a, a popular campaign that doesn't require anyone to make any um, real changes to, the, to their habits, it doesn't threaten, frankly, if it doesn't threaten men in any way, it doesn't actually threaten the status quo in any way, they kind of pick it up and run with it. But when you had to start pointing the finger and saying, do you know what, most men are actually involved in something, and indeed quite a lot of women, that is really, really harmful to society, suddenly everyone becomes a bit sort of, you know, scared of it. Um, so yeah, I think really getting, having it acknowledged as a problem. And I think as well, looking at PHSE, there are just no providers out there that I've found who have, that have actually said, just don't watch porn, it is really harmful. None of them talk about the harms to performers. None of them um, talk about the harms so far as pornography addiction goes. And we know that, okay, not everyone, but uh, um, uh, Valerie Boone, Dr. Valerie Boone has done some really interesting research around um, actually looking at, um, at neural pathways and how um, essentially the same sort of chemicals and the same sort of reward structure happens um, when it comes to looking at pornography in certain groups of men as it does when they use drugs. So we know that that's an issue and you can't imagine any, um, you know, PHSE provider going into a school and saying, hey kids, drugs are all right so long as you know, just drugs are fine really. It just wouldn't happen. Mm. So the fact that, you know, we've got like the likes of um, Justin Hancock, who won uh, an award for, what was it, some sort of like erotic award. He's one of our top PHSE providers. <laughs> what? <laughs> Stephanie, yeah. Stephanie davis Arias. just um, next week, she's releasing a external a review. She said it's quite terrible, a, a review of external PSHE providers. Brilliant. Yeah, I think there are a lot of connections and obviously, yeah, um, I've got a friend who's um, who's writing on this, so I don't want to say too much about it. But yeah, um, I think the um, frankly, I think there are a lot of really dodgy people involved with um, with sex and relationships education in the UK, and um, and I think that's as well something that we need to really start looking at. Well, if you've written a letter to the Guardian saying that it's perfectly okay for boys to have sex with adult males, oh, um, like Peter Drexel. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure you should be the patron of Educate and Celebrate, which goes into schools um, talking about... You uh, it. <laughs> <laughs> what really amazes me about all of this is even when a 15-year-old trafficked girl will say, that's me, that's my assault, online with 400,000 views, and then it sort of gets taken down but comes up again. Now... Pornhub, I'm sure, if it was them, um, or these giants, they know exactly where that video comes from, right? They know the upload, they're not idiots, they know where it comes from because there will be traceability when it comes to payment or however these things work. So I want to know if anybody was serious about protecting these victims of, of sexual crimes and then entertainment, they would A, they would ensure that the provider would have to give up the IP address of the person that uploaded it. And B, the fines would be so substantial that the industry would want to police itself a lot better. Why isn't anyone doing that? Has anyone answered that question for you at all? No. <laughs> no, and I don't know. And it does seem like they operate above the law, um, which I guess in some ways isn't all that surprising because I guess historically there are some 
um, quite disturbing links with um, with well criminals basically. Um, and um, yeah, I don't know. I really don't know why. But I guess in some respects, I suppose all tech companies operate a little bit above the law. But when it comes to something so heinous, you would expect hmm. action to be taken. It's funny, I kind of, I long for the day of a um, slightly boarded up, uh, seedy looking sex shop. I think we're I all a little bit safer. I know, I know. I kind of wish in a way there was that same sort of like, I wish you could like laugh at men that use pornography in the way that you used to, then you sad bastard. Yeah. <laughs> it's really grubby. It used yeah. to, when I, when I was at, what, when I was first working back in the late 90s, um, a bloke at work, uh, went to a brothel and and I was quite disgusted I mean probably not in the, the way that I understand it now I probably thought that those women were also vile and that he was disgusting for going uh, to a brothel in the first place and all of it was awful and I remember, <laughs> I remember getting in the lift and uh, him getting in and I said which floor and he sort of hesitated and I went it's all right I don't charge <laughs> I'll just <laughs> I'll press the button for free because and he was like a bit of a laughing stock and everyone thought it was like a grubby dirty yeah yeah seedy I mean, little thing I know I know it's, it's I kind of wish that was that sort of mindset had 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 stayed really um but I guess to be honest they're such a big industry and they've got such good marketing it's it, there's no surprise in a way that um that not much action gets taken. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, I wish you the very best of luck and thank you for joining me. I will put all your information um, in the thing below. Right. You. When you were talking before and we were looking at, at sort of what people's online habits are, I've just received, I haven't published it yet, but I've just received this account from a woman who was desensitized to her. her she had no idea her husband was a crossdresser when they married. And his online porn use was primarily, um, I think they call it a word that I probably am not allowed to say because I get kicked off of YouTube, but a certain sort of porn that has transgender males, that has men with penises and breasts. Um, and this is something that he really fantasized about to the point that his, he wanted to reenact it. And then actually a lot of what he wanted his wife to reenact was degrading, um, violence, uh, really quite scary stuff, but he desensitized her somewhat with the use of pornography. Mm -hmm. um, so it's a, without wanting to dive too much into that subject, they're very close, aren't they? Oh God, yeah. And I mean, when you look at sort of some of the um, uh, defenders of extreme pornography, so for example, John Overmeck is otherwise known as Jane Fay, uh, writes for The Independent quite a lot at the moment. Um, and, um, and yeah, sort of prior to being, um, a uh, trans woman and, um, spokesperson on, um, on all things, um, lady, um, was a defender <laughs> of extreme pornography. Um, so, you know, yeah, of course there is. And you look at Paris Lees, you look at, yeah, it's, it's clearly, um, from a genre. I mean, it's a little paranoid bit of me that wonders if, um, wonders how much business goes on in places like Birch Place. I do wonder how many of our politicians have got a Birch Place account. Birch Place is um, a sort of massive online community for uh, cross-dressers. Um, and I think they have meetups as well and things. Um, yeah, no, I think there are the parallels as well between those who advocate for full decriminalization of the sex trade 
um, and transgenderism is huge. Um, so I know in New Zealand, one of the key spokes uh, people um, was um, was was also a, a, a man, a trans woman, man, whatever. Um, yeah, um, and yeah, when you look at, for example, again, our lovely friend Justin Hancock um, co-hosts a podcast with uh, Meg John Barker. Meg John Barker calls themselves non-binary, um, is a vagina haver, um, and is in a polyamorous relationship with Edward Lord, who is the non-binary mason who tried to get all of women's, um, all of the single sex facilities in the city of London uh, made unisex. I mean, kind of one wonders who benefits. <laughs> um, so yeah, there are lots and lots and lots of parallels. And the thing I always find kind of fascinating about it is how many of these sort of pro-free speech and extreme free speech defenders um, don't extend the same courtesy when it comes to women talking about their rights. It just seems to involve, you know, talking about porn, that's fine. You know, sort of, you know not even talking about porn. Pornography itself seems to be a free speech issue. And yet, when it comes to, you know, women wanting to, the freedom to assemble, to discuss things that actually affect us, somehow they're all kind of a bit mute about it. Um, and it kind of makes you think, you know, when you've got liberty, so, you know, liberty, um, sort of, obviously, they, they had a relationship with Ty, the paedophile information exchange, all the rest of it. And so I don't think that's entirely historic, because now they're stopping, you know, they're totally silent on the fact that um, that women are being barred from meeting to discuss um, the impact of, of um, self-identification on, on our rights, um, or they were, but thankfully uh, this law seems to kick that into long grass, but anyway. Um, and, and yet, um, at the same time, they're sort of quite pro-pornography, quite pro, you know what I mean? It's just, I do feel like there's this massive disjuncture that always seems to work in men's favour. Hmm. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't want to, I don't want to think that the world, <laughs> that a lot of men in this world really don't like very women very much or see us as full, fully functioning humans. We're just kind of non-men, which was at least um, honest of the Green Party when they called us <laughs> non-men. Non um, but all roads... And I say this as somebody who no longer calls himself a feminist for a variety of reasons, but all roads seem to lead to the same place. And that is a, a place of men controlling how women feel even about ourselves. Yes, absolutely. Totally. I mean, it's, and I think as well, there's something in there with the tech thing, the fact that um, technology is is so male dominated, and who is it who gets censored online? <laughs> it's, again, it's not pornographers, is it? It's, it's women who you know want to say something like only women have vaginas. <laughs> um, it's it's yeah, totally. It's a kind of yet yeah, another kind of way they they impose their power. And, yeah. It creeps in everywhere. Even so, I've got the age children that watch the Marvel franchise. And I happen to quite like the Marvel franchise um, for my sins. I'm pretty sure I have to kind of leave any notion of feminism that's ever passed me by. At the Everyone has I... something like that. <laughs> <laughs> when I sit down, a lot of TV I can't watch anymore, actually, because I just find it too formulaic and I find it too uh, agenda driven or whatever. But bear with. So then 
Guardians of the Galaxy 2, I think it was, or one of the massive ones that was a sequel to another massive one. And there's this place where they all meet, some space station-y, pubby kind of glamour place. And they've got sex robots. You know, so the men are with these android sex robot women. And I just thought, even here... <laughs> Yeah, no, it's it's kind of inescapable, isn't it? It's yeah. I mean, sometimes there's a bit of me that just wishes I could, I don't know, feel passionate about donkey sanctuaries or something. Because <laughs> sort of having that feminist analysis does ruin popular culture. Because it is just yeah, wall to wall bloody misogyny when you start when you inject any sort of analysis into it at all. Yeah. <laughs> it's so crazy. Now I met you quite some time ago. Um, we obviously met through one issue, and then I came to was it Cheltenham? You did that talk yes, with it was, Julie, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And so, are you still working at all uh, with the Critical Sisters? No, um, I still think there's some really interesting conversations to be had about um, the left's acceptance of um, extremist forms of Islam, particularly Wahhabism, and. Um, I think it's, I, I think that's absolutely fascinating, the fact that there are so many parallels between religion and transgenderism, which is why Critical Sisters um, sort of flatline with no gods, no gender, because actually I think they're kind of the same thing and they operate in the same way, um, as does pornography. So yeah, I mean, that's still all the things I'm really interested in, but I can't help thinking at the moment, I finally feel like some ground is being made with regards to the trans stuff. I feel like pornography is, is is massive and whilst there are organisations that include it as part of their remit, um, so you've got um, Object and you've got Not Buying It and um, Say We Can't Consent to This and Yes Matters and there's some really good organisations out there but there aren't any that just specifically focus on pornography and I mean to be honest I don't think we're going to dent it much, I don't think we're going to have a huge impact but it doesn't mean it's not worth trying. <laughs> no absolutely, I think it's, um, I think it's just it does penetrate, pardon the expression, every, <laughs> every single aspect of our lives from the way we're advertised to, to the music. Um, you know, one of my kids said the other day, Mum, I was listening to 80s music. So refreshing because there's no kind of embarrassing stuff in it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, there's no yeah. sex and there's no swearing, really. I mean, I kind of, but perhaps there is sex, but not in the, not in like a really descriptive, well, no, not the 80s I mean, music I, I guess you get, you to. get kind of like, um, euphemisms, don't you? Like, I'm just thinking about turning Japanese. Remember turning Japanese? No? <laughs> no. Oh, is that not about Japanese? Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, What's that about? Mm, wanking for men. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, well, at least the kids can't, can't hear it. Yeah. Um, oh, is it really? How interesting. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, I guess mean, it's 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 more of the kind of blueberry heel style euphemism than yeah, right in your face, like, oh blurred lines. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So a really um, annoyingly catchy song. <laughs> Yeah, I did quite like that song. And then <laughs> you're like, you? I think, what yeah. am I singing? What am I singing? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> really terrible. Although I, 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 there's, I think as with all of the stuff that's 
I have turned my head to recently, which is surrogacy. And even, even when it comes to all forms of assisted fertility, I'm beginning to think, actually, I'm not really sure I'm comfortable with any of it. But all, and many of these questions have been raised for me since I fell out with the left, or rather the left fell out with me. Um, how are you politically sort of coping with all of this? Uh, where were, uh, have you changed? Um, is there even a party that you would vote for at the moment? No. Um, so I used to be in the Labour Party, I'd always considered myself on the left. Um, God, for years and years I was in the Socialist Party, um, which, uh, yeah, which is basically a bunch of lunatic trots, but you know, they're a bunch of nice people. <laughs> so, um, yeah, um, uh, locally, um, I, I kind of, the, the, the Labour Party people um, are very much pro-trans, they haven't really thought about pornography, they haven't really thought about, they've kind of got a women's group because they were told from the Labour Party to have a women's group, but none of them seem to have any sort of consciousness or awareness. And it's really difficult because on the one hand you think, well, it should be about being grassroots and it should be about sort of, you know, and on the other hand, it's really frustrating when people don't get it. So I'm <laughs> kind of stuck perhaps being a bit of an elitist, but without an elite. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, I guess there are, um, um, I, I guess when I look at sort of inequality, when I look at um, the numbers of homeless people um, who are sleeping in tents at the moment, even during COVID, when, you know, I, I, I just don't feel like I could um, support the Conservatives because I have allowed that to happen and I don't feel it's been... Um, I don't feel that's been anything other than a political decision um, and the hypocrisy and sort of public school buffoonery of um, both Boris Johnson and Dominic Cummings. I just, I, I, there's just no way in hell I could support them. And yet at the same time, um, I tend to find sort of as far as individual politicians go, there are probably more that I feel sympathetic towards on, on the right than I do the left. I can't help thinking, at least those who are bastards are upfront bastards and um, competent. Whereas yeah. I don't think there's anyone in the Labour Party that thinks we're competent at the moment. Um, although, you know, please do support, click off. <coughs> <laughs> well, I, I sort of think with the, the left and right thing that the, I feel so let down by the left that I feel more anger and contempt for them than I do the right because I didn't expect yeah. the right to be on my side. No. I didn't expect the right to say, actually, no, as women, you're really important. I've had far more meaningful conversations with those Tory activists and members of parliament who, you know, even a really thoughtful discussion with a woman about, the, you know, the, whether or not we should ever legalise prostitution and who that would serve and, you know, really complicated um, ideas. On the left, when you've got someone like Jess Phillips who won't even say a woman is an adult human female, you just think, what are you doing it for? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think actually she's a particular bugbear of mine um, because I know she's done some brilliant stuff and all the rest of it, but, and she has, but at the same time, I kind of feel like she uses feminism um, just, just as a vehicle for her career. I feel like she kind of like, builds herself on the work, the really fucking hard work of like the, the Naya project and you know really really good solid feminist work and then she kind of totally rubbishes the experience and memory of the women who have actually been 
a part of that by not doing something as simple as saying, well, you know, a woman is someone with a vagina and ovaries. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, it, it really shouldn't be difficult. Um, yeah. Or um, even when she reads out that list, talking about Naya being a woman, a, a woman only service. Yeah. You know, she doesn't even have to go that crazy. She could just make a couple of assertions so that we know, so that people who support her know that she actually does care more about us yeah. than her career. Yeah, and I guess, I mean, I, I, I don't really mean to, to pick on her, I guess the reason I am is because she's always a bit of a heroine of mine. I thought she was fabulous. Um, I never particularly liked Corbyn and she, you know, she has clearly um, stood up to him. And yet, yeah, just so disappointing. Um, and yeah, no, I, I'm kind of with you in the, I feel more hurt in a way by the, the sort of what I, I, I thought were, I guess, my people, um, because... Um, they've sort of revealed themselves to be shallow careerist and only prepared to sort of speak within sound bites. Um, there doesn't seem to be any depth of thought there or even depth of feeling. And um, and that sort of really seriously makes me doubt everything else about them. Mm. It's almost like the, the gender extremism, somebody called it the other day, the transgender stuff, transitioning children, um, having a serious conversation about the impact of porn uh, and surrogacy, those things are almost treated like fringe or um, inconsequential kind of issues. And they're absolutely enormous. Yes, of course they are. I mean, that's, that's the other thing that kind of annoys me a little bit about, about women that keep returning to that. It's almost like watching a bloody abusive relationship. Just think, for God's sake, leave it. Can you not see? They do not give a fuck. And I kind of thought this was a relatively recent thing. And then, um, let's say reading this, um, the industrial vagina, uh, in I think it was ooh, two two thousand and two two thousand and three. It um, no, it wasn't. It was later than that. Sorry. Anyway, I digress. Um, yeah, it must be later than that because it was after. Yeah. So basically, Desmond um, Dirty Des, what's his name? Uh, Dirty Des. Des No, 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 no. Pervert owns the Express. Oh, I have no idea. Ah, oh, okay. Anyway, um, yeah, he basically he made all of his money through top shelf pornography, like when it was still sort of you know printed online, all the rest of it, and um, has had. Um, uh, he gave the Labour Party, I think it was a hundred thousand pounds uh, for their campaign in around about twenty ten. It was yes, um, and um, that was just after. Oh God, what did they allow? There was some sort of legislation that went through very shortly beforehand. She just explains it all in her book. But yeah, it kind of just made me realise, sorry, I realised that was a total mental ramble, but it just made me realise that actually, in fact, they've never really been on our side. And I think that kind of old adage that to the left, women are public property and to the right, they're private property. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't really, I don't get it where people who do anything with the right, and I'm sure that if you make some meaningful connections and people are public from the Tories, I'm sure you're going to get exactly the same. Um, lots of accusations about working with practically Nazis. Um, but I don't really understand how anybody can do that uh, whilst saying, I'm on the side of this man over here who thinks sex work is work and who wants anybody to who fancies um, raping a, a woman for cash uh, can do so. Um, I'm going to stand on his side because he's on the left. 
But I can't stand on the side of that man over there who would prefer people not to have sex before they get married. Yeah, I mean, and as, as well, I, I guess there's something about, um, sometimes I think you can come for, to the same conclusion from quite different angles. So I guess a bit like, you know, with the Heritage Foundation or whatever, um, which, um, I guess, to be honest, I don't care. I don't care if mm. somebody, um, thinks pornography is wrong because they're a Christian and thinks that sex should be within marriage. Frankly, I don't care. I mean, I don't agree with them. And I think it's from a, a patriarchal point of view and all the rest of it. But if they're prepared to try and push through something that will save lives or stop women being abused or fundamentally change for the better um, the laws in this country or society, then work with them. I just, I, I just find the kind of double standards and the prettiness really bloody frustrating. Mm. Um, I, I don't. I kind of feel like we're at a critical situation. I don't feel like we've got time to start um, dicking about, worrying who's sort of, you know, whose hands are perfectly. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I, th I, th I think with with all three of these situations, which I do think are so inextricably linked. Yeah. Um, you know, women's bodies to be used or butchered, or you know, all of the things that happen to women in these three huge. Um, issues you yeah I find it not useful I think if if you don't think a, a woman's body should be used and impregnated by another woman's egg so that some other couple who have got loads of money can have a baby and you do that because you think that the gift of child a, a child is something that only God can give uh, hallelujah to you I'm, I'm quite <laughs> happy if you stand beside me and my view is that it's just abhorrent and it's against the rights of women and children. Um, but I don't, I don't really care where that comes from. And I do think we are, I think you're right, Joe. I think we are right on the brink of absolute disaster. In yeah. fact, we've probably been in disaster zone for a really long time, but something needs to change. Yeah, and I mean, as well, something that I think gets forgotten is we're tiny when it comes to sort of, you know, the, the, the feminist movement. Actually, there are far more bloody insaniac Christians out there. <laughs> and, you know, there, there are far more of them. And frankly, they've probably got more to lose by being associated with us in terms of money and influence than vice versa. Um, so I think, I think we sort of have a slightly inflated sense of our own importance. To the outside world, most of them aren't even aware of the issues between bloody sex and gender and all the rest of it. Of course they're not. So yeah I think when something comes along got to be kind of pragmatic about it. I think it also, it also lends itself to the argument that we are all real weak-minded fools that I can't spend you know I can't spend an afternoon in the company of Christian conservatives and come away with the same views as when I went in to that <laughs> conversation with them. Uh, yeah, and apart from something else, surely that's how you, you make progress. That's how politics happens. And men don't get criticised for making alliances. That's kind of strategy. That's politics. That's acceptable. And yet when women do it, somehow, you know, we've become sullied by it. Um, it almost feels like a sexual double standard, which I know sounds a bit bonkers, but I think there's something there. <laughs> I, mean, I, just might just be, <laughs> I might just be a bit obsessed. I don't know. <laughs> I do come back to this all the time. I just... I mean, even in the sort of um, women's rights campaigning, men are listened to more about, even on this side of the debate, which is trying to preserve women's rights and language, 
um, a man can say something relatively mediocre um, and even center men, other men, and they're still listened to more than the likes of you or I. Oh my God, it was me nuts trying to get articles published when I see like, you know, essentially if I had, um, <laughs> if I had a cock and, and it was gender critical, I know I'll get in. Ah, me mad. Why didn't you try that? <laughs> I have thought about it. Um, yeah, but uh, to be honest, I've done it for It's good yeah. enough for JK Rowling, it might be good enough for you. <laughs> Give it a go. <laughs> but um, yeah, I don't. I don't know. I I sort of I've, I've changed my mind on that. I, I I used to be sort of of the opinion that um we needed men to be able to, and we particularly needed um we particularly needed trans women to sort of soften the message. Um, and to some extent, I can see that yeah, the outside world will see us as as cruel and harsh but there is kind of something about just telling the truth about that that, that there's something about having that integrity and just saying no and speak <laughs> uh, that I think actually probably is quite important I don't know I find it really difficult sort of where to draw the line between messaging and how to get the message out and how to sort of um I guess PR something that should be bloody obvious and then how to sort of stay true to the to the aims i find that really tricky and i'm not entirely sure i know where i stand on it apart from i think a pretty good sort of benchmark for a, a, a feminist movement is to prioritize women <laughs> <laughs> well i think the the beauty of this movement in the uk even though i do have grave uh concerns about some of the activities and things that have gone on i, I think they've been very unhelpful but there have been so many different approaches that it kind of, you know, it will pick up different people in different oh, places. Yeah. Definitely. Um, but I, I don't, I don't really ever see why uh, it would, in any debate, it would be wise to promote the person doing the harm or benefiting from the overall harm to women. Mm -hmm. So it would never be good to have like a, a pro-women feminist porn maker, for example, no. on your side in porn. No, absolutely. I mean, I, I guess um, as well, um, I, I mean, I, I know exactly who you're referring to and I, I can't help worrying about his wife um, as well. I kind of wonder what the message, how that must feel for her. <laughs> so odd, isn't it? Uh, that chap that you argued with, at, um, the chap that you debated whose name you've said about four times and I Gary keep forgetting. Uh, the first thing he did when he came on is said, oh, if my children come in. Oh, I just yeah, thought, you know. oh. Yeah, well, you know, he's a good wholesome dad, isn't he? There's a man you can trust. <laughs> oh. And the idea that humans um, have ever needed to watch someone having sex to understand what someone have, has it, having sex is actually like. No, I mean, I think maybe quite a strong argument there is just to ridicule people who feel the need to look at pornography because for fuck's sake, are you seriously that lacking in imagination that you can't work out what feels nice and what's nice for your partner? Mm -hmm. <laughs> it really shouldn't be that difficult. <laughs> but perhaps they can't though. Perhaps if you, if, perhaps if the usage is so high. Oh yeah, yeah, totally. 
I, I mean, I, I think that's quite deliberate as well on the part of pornographers is obviously like, you know, algorithms will um, sort of like, you know, take that seed of, uh, of a fetish or whatever it happens to be and take it to the nth degree. So you can start getting shown, particularly on, on Pornhub, which works a little bit like Amazon, as far as the algorithms go, it will take you further and further down one particular path so that that will then be effectively the only thing that does it for you and you can't have a normal human intimate relationship. I mean, I think that's quite deliberate. What a brilliant marketing strategy. And the idea that they're not trying to do that to kids and to young teenagers to kind of shape their uh, desire forever is, um, is ludicrous. Of course they are. That's, that's then a captive market and the sort of more obscure and extreme and unpleasant in a way for them, the better, because you're never going to find a partner to put up with that. Hasn't Joe Rogan just talked about porn and about how it, um, so one of his podcasts, I'm sure he started talking about erectile dysfunction. And I think that is going to be the thing that convinces men yeah, in again, particular. That's, that's, that's one of those areas where I'm just like, I really, really, really don't want to campaign on that basis because I find it really difficult because... I don't care, frankly, if men can't get hard on. Ha ha ha, serves you right, you shouldn't have watched so much porn. <laughs> but on the flip side, that's probably going to be the thing that makes them sit up and pay attention. Well, lose their families because their marriage won't survive it. Um, I asked somebody that I know, I, I was talking about pornography and I was saying, how do they make money? Because as far as I'm aware, most of it you can access for free. And if it's not free, what is the difference between the free content and the paid for content, like why would anyone pay for it? And with the, the free stuff, I'm sure people aren't watching hours of porn. They must mm. just be watching, I mean, I don't know. They must, if, especially if it's men. So how long are they, how much are they watching? Do you know? Actually, yes. So if you look at <laughs> Pornhub Insights, they collect really, really interesting data on it. Um, I know. Um, so they do like a, a year in review and it will show you like the top trending categories by country. It will show you how long um, pornography is looked at. So, you know, it'll be like two minutes in, I'm making this up, but you know, like two minutes in Argentina or 10 minutes in Japan or whatever it happens to be. So there's actually quite a lot of um, like quite interesting broken down data on who's watching what, where and for how long. Um, they claim that um, sort of quite a high proportion of their viewers are also women. I dispute that because about something else, I don't quite know how they'd gather that data. Um, but that is something they, and you know, it is true that I, I do think maybe there's a, um, a lack of research into women who do watch porn because I think that is an increasing problem just because it's become so normal. And yeah, I think it is also used by boyfriends to groom and break down um, break down sort of barriers in a way, sort of, you know, look, she's doing it, this is what I expect, you know, you can see how it happens, and indeed it's it's known that that's what happens with trafficking victims as well, those who are actually, like, literally groomed, that's, um, that's something that's used as well. Um, so, yeah, there is actually quite a lot of data out there, and, um, and kind of ironically, provided by the opposition. <laughs> but how do they, how do these people make money? Because we know they make oh. a, a lot of money. So how do they make money if people aren't paying for it? So Pornhub, they've got premium content as well. Um, obviously, they've got um, lots of partnerships with, um, so for a time they had a partnership with Anne Summers, which um, 
uh, which which I'm rather proud that I was I was part of um, getting scrapped. Anyway, um, they um, so they have lots of um, sponsorship, lots of partnerships. They have um, then there's like um, services where you can um, like essentially sort of like stream abuse effectively. So you know you have um, so in Cambodia it's particularly and Vietnam it's particularly a thing um, where you pay and you explain what you want done to the woman. That's quite a popular thing. Um, as I say, there are increasingly crossovers between um, pornography and um, and prostitution. So sometimes you have users who will then pay to actually, you know, use the woman um, as um, as a prostituted woman. Um, so yeah, there are loads and loads and loads of different different ways that they can and do make money out of it. But I think. Uh, the sort of overarching business model is to basically get men to the point where they can't actually relate to another human being in any significant way. Yeah, but that's quite good for them in lockdown because, you know, people do need comfort and connection. Oh, yeah, no, I know. My heart bleeds. My heart bleeds. <laughs> I just don't... I just... I, with all of these things, right, I get to a point where you think, actually, the only thing that makes sense is this. So the only thing that makes sense is that nobody really cares that kids are watching porn. Nobody really cares that there are traffic girls being raped online. Nobody cares because there is no outrage. And we can't even articulate fairly about what it is that we are opposing because most of that language is too obscene. So you can't go and take a picture and say, look, this is, a, this is what's happening to someone in Cambodia, somebody's paid, and we know that often uh, those images will be paedophile, um, sort of um, child abuse, uh, raping children. Um, so you can't even you can't even tell people about it because it's so offensive. Yeah, I mean, I do. <laughs> um, <laughs> because I don't really care about being offensive. Um, because I, I think pornography is offensive, and. Um, but then I guess people are, people are kind of expert at compartmentalising, aren't they? I mean, you know, every day when I go into town, I know that I pass homeless drug addicts and I could probably do something to help them and I shut off because it's easier to deal with. Um, and I think particularly with pornography, I think there's a similar mindset. So I remember, and I'm sure this is going to be kind of familiar to, to a lot of people, um, I remember as a young adult having um, female friends who disclosed to me that male friends had raped them or assaulted them. And it was too hard to deal with. So I just kind of shut it out. And because, you know, he's a nice guy. And you couldn't have. You sure it wasn't a misunderstanding. And I kind of feel like the same. And a bit like women um, jurors being less likely to convict rape, rapists. Um, and I can't help thinking that a lot of that is about feeling vulnerable. And that it's, in fact, easier just to pretend that, you know, there's some sort of overarching sense of fairness. All of the women who are involved in it choose to be. And it's not because they're either, you know, trafficked, desperate, or indeed victims of childhood sexual abuse, because we know that's essentially a kind of a feeder into the industry. Um, so yeah, I think it's too grim, too depressing, and it's just kind of easier for people to compartmentalise and turn a blind eye to it than it is to accept the reality of it. Well, I for one am delighted that you started this campaign. I think it's going to be really successful, and I'm glad you don't mind offending people in a bid <laughs> to stop it. Thank you very much, Joe. <laughs> Cheers, let's see. Bye. Bye.
Well, I hope you thoroughly enjoyed that enlightening chat with Joe Bartosz, who I'm pretty sure you're going to read everywhere very soon. Uh, please don't forget to like, share and subscribe. And if you enjoyed this, and only if you enjoyed this, please leave a lovely review. Apparently it helps people find this podcast. See you next time. Thank you.